Hello, listeners. This is not your regular episode of Pontifax, but a special holiday episode that we put together with the wonderful people from Quest Friends. Fry and I both had the pleasure of joining the podcast, Quest Friends, to play in a special holiday episode as the Amber Pope, the head of the pseudo-Catholic church organization called the Order of Truth, and a rival pseudo-cult leader, Antipope. And it was a lot of fun. A lot of fun. We enjoyed that a lot. I played the- I played the Antipope. And I played the Pope, Pope Abstemius. And after you are done listening to this episode that we are going to put out on our feed as our Christmas bonus, you should head over to questfriendspodcast.com or search Quest Friends with an exclamation mark at the end on your podcatcher to find all of their episodes. And again, our episodes are the ones titled The Frozen Factory. Listen to the whole series. It's great. Hello and welcome to Pontifex. I'm Fry. And I'm Brie, ranking all of the Amber Popes from Calaval to Scotch. And this is episode 624, Pope Abstemius. Have you heard of Pope Abstemius? No, I haven't. So, we'll jump right into it then, because Abstemius has a very interesting history. Abstemius was born and grew up during the crusade of Duranet VI against the Gaians. So, he personally witnessed the crumbling of the Order of Truth as a child, and as a young man, when he joined the order, he found it lacking substance. As an eon priest, he was extremely outspoken about his beliefs that the order of truth was at its peak when it embraced a more quasi-religious structure inspired by the old world and blamed Duranet's crusade for the obsolete crumbling state that the order of truth was currently in. Like you do. Like you do. In his sermons, Abstemius railed about the casualties of the crusade and the destruction of resources and knowledge, and how this all had resulted in the general public mistrusting the order and the dwindling adherence of the order of truth. Which makes sense. He's not wrong there. He just took it very, very much to heart. And this is when we see him begin to draw followers. You know, he had some general adorers who supported his policy to the extreme followers who fell hard into seeing him as a messiah figure who would restore the order to its former glory. Big shoes to fill. Oh yeah, totally too huge. And this, along with the fact that he also pleased the more moderate Eon priests with his dedication to non-aggression, is how he was elected to be the next Amber Pope. Now, during his papacy, Abstemius worked hard to revive a church atmosphere running the Order of Truth like a, a mix of the churches and the seminaries from the old first world. He opened the space so that people could come to learn and to hear a sermon, come to venerate the artifacts, or venerate saints. And now these saints are new, and this is a new concept introduced by Abstemius, inspired by old, half-remembered tales of Catholic saints. Catholics would pray to saints to intervene on their behalf by showing them favor or giving some sort of blessing. So Abstemius felt that if he could bring saints into the order of truth, they would be the ones who had delivered wisdom to the world, because that's his big thing. Artifact hunters and data sphere communicators who access things that the everyday person couldn't, and then those who choose to share that knowledge so it could be universal would be venerated in the new Order of Truth's saints. But things were not all as smooth as it might seem. Not everything went the way that Pope Abstemius wanted. One of his ardent followers, actually, a woman called Paloma, who was a budding saint in the Order of Truth, had been sent out by Pope Abstemius to retrieve a valuable artifact. And something happened on her expedition, and she ended up exposed to the void. No one really knows why, and she certainly hasn't had any commentary on what happened. But when she came back, she had a whole new set of ideals that she felt were 
significantly more important to her than Abstemius's message of wisdom and truth. She wanted to embrace feelings. She had a lot of feelings, and she felt that feelings were at the absolute root of truth. And also varied level marketing tactics that would give people the enchanted and mystical crystals and unguents and genital steaming apparatus that they would need to bring them in harmony with their true selves. I'm sorry, you can't say genital steaming apparatus without me laughing at it. <laughs> so she clearly had her own way about things. And this started to cause a problem. And soon, Paloma's ramblings became more informal gatherings outside of the church that were now considered under the auspices of Mama Paloma, and the Order of Truth began to divide. And what happens when you get a divided Order of Truth? Antipopes. That's right. You get an antipope. Welcome to the Quest Friends 2019 Holiday Special. I'm Kyle, your GM, and today we've got the folks from Pontifax here to play a session with us. So before we continue, we're going to quick introduce all of ourselves, our pronouns, our characters, their pronouns. First, I'm Kyle, he, him, and I play lots of people. Uh, and then we'll just go in order. Emily. I'm Emily. My pronouns are she, her, and I play Ellie Badge, whose pronouns are also she, her. Yeah. Uh, uh, I'm Hallie. My pronouns are she, her. I play Hopper Scotch. His pronouns are he, him. I also play Ness, and his pronouns are he, him. Hi, I'm Ari. Pronouns she, her, and I play Misha, and their pronouns are they, them. I am Tom. My pronouns are he, him, and I play Shock, who also has he, him pronouns. All right, and that's the quest friends taken care of. But you already know that, unless, of course, you didn't already know that, in which case, now you know that. Uh, but we got two extra folks here, the folks from Pontifax. So I'll let them introduce themselves. I'm Bree, she, her, and I play Pope Abstemius, a devout glint who becomes energy, and his pronouns are he, him. I'm Fry, she, her. I'm going to play Sister Paloma, also known as Mama Paloma to her followers. She, her. She is a mystical seeker who delved too deep. All right. With that taken care of, let's get started. Our story begins one billion years from now, when magic creates all that your imagination will allow. Many worlds had come and since returned to their slumber. In fact, I believe nine was the current world's number. And within this ninth world, a story unfurled of a pope and his rival finding mutual survival. It wasn't their plan, their schemes went sideways, but regardless, they reclaimed the happy holidays. So, our story begins at the last remaining chapel of the Order of Truth. Although, even calling it a chapel gives it a little bit too much credit. It's been at least a hundred years since the Order of Truth, which used to be the predominant quasi-religious force in the Steadfast, largely dissolved after a very misguided war by Pope Durinet the Sixth. Pope Durinet the Sixth. Um, what used to be a sprawling city block in the city of Key is now just a simple, humble building with a few small rooms, and in one of them, in the most ornate room, which is the size of three whole broom closets, the current leader of the Order of Truth, the Amber Pope himself, Pope Abstemius. Abstemius? Abstemius. I'm sorry. <laughs> Kyle. Kyle. Pope Absti- Pope, uh, Pope Abstemius is uh, giving a lecture to a small group of followers. And lo, Duranet the Sixth, the aggressor, brought this horrible debilitation upon us when he decided 
that we needed to have a crusade against the Gaians. So many people died. So many resources were lost. The amount of knowledge that was destroyed is unthinkable. It is up to us to bring the order back to its former state of prestige and wonder so that we, with far-flinging reaches, can gather resources, can gather relics, can bring saints, can bring veneration, and bring back a sense of wisdom. Uh, uh, excuse me, excuse me. Yes, dear follower? So, is this the island Jetco where I can get the shampoo? Or did I turn around somewhere? Oh, friend, you may be lost, but together you may be found. <laughs> Why don't you come sit and have a look at some of our relics and, and see if any of them re- resemble this thing you're looking for, shampoo. I'll pull up a plastic bottle, dusted and withered and like holy, like it's kind of deteriorated over time, because even plastic would have deteriorated by this point. This bottle, fructis, <laughs> at one point contained hair cleaning supplies. And it was easy and convenient and smelled like something they referred to as citrus. (laughs) Is this what you're looking for? Well, I'd prefer one that's filled, but I've come to a few Jetcos already, so I'm okay with one that has a little bit in it. (laughs) Well, unfortunately, we can't give you this one because this is a precious artifact that belongs to the church. It is a relic of the first world. So... (laughs) But... But I'm looking for shampoo. Mm. Well, I could teach you a little bit of what we know about shampoo, but if you want to buy some, you might have to go elsewhere. And at that, 75% of the crowd stands up, rumbles to themselves, and leaves the room. (laughs) (sighs) Mm. I'm used to this. Uh, yeah, let's, so, so we see Pope Abstemius say that to himself and, and what, for the sake of the visual in our mind, what is, what is the man we're looking at? What does he look like? Abstemius is a fairly short man. In reference to the quest friends, he'd probably be about six inches taller than Ellie, but shorter than everyone else. But he wears a very beautiful red and gold papal mitre that would bring him up to average height. He is surprisingly sturdy. He's not stocky, but he's reasonably muscular for reasons that I'm sure we'll come to later. He's got kind of slightly array white hair and a very close cropped facial hair goatee. His eyes are a gold color, which is reminiscent of the glow that comes off of his body because he emanates this golden glow color, kind of like radiation or a walking glow stick. He wears a red and black embossed cardinal style robe, ready for adventuring at any moment. So he has that sort of opulence and elegance about him. He's really trying to bring prestige back to this organization that is otherwise kind of dusty and drab. But it's not super ostentatious. It's just enough to catch your eye, but not quite enough to make you go, ooh, jeez. And things, things aren't going so hot for our pal, is, are they? No, no, they are not. He's really struggling because he grew up right, or he grew up before the crusade and he was able to witness what the church was like when it had a religious structure that provided sermons and brought wisdom. It was like the Church of Antiquity, focused on, you know, developing and spreading a message of knowledge and wisdom rather than like trying to push conversion. So now, after all is said and done and there's not much left, he's trying to make the order function somewhat like a seminary school. Come to learn, come to hear a sermon, come to venerate some artifacts. And he's also trying to introduce this concept of saints to kind of up the prestige so that, you know, when people might get excited about these figures who are bringing knowledge to the world. And it's definitely probably in some small part as a way to deal with the competition that surrounded you, because as I said, This used to be a major city center, but now your small building is swamped on both sides by large corporate buildings, Jetco on one side, fancy Tom's fancy hats on the other, (laughs) 
And inside this center of consumerism, we're just going to get that. We're going to get that message out right away. Uh, <laughs> right in right in the center of these uh, buildings is you and your small group of followers. And in fact, one of them panting bursts open the doors and runs up to meet you. And what is this follower's name? Jeez, oh, I didn't even think of names. Um, let's call him Brother Barnabas. Okay. Brother Barnabas Benefer, uh, that's his full name. How dare you? <laughs> How dare you? Barnabas Barnabas Benefer, that's his full name now. That's not going to get hard to remember, is it? Of course, I love it. Ah, oh, Jesus. All right, so Barnabas Barnabas Benefer runs up to you, breathing very heavily. He's a young guy, so he's had to have been running real hard for real far. Suddenly, you hear... As he's just stopped in his place by a tiny baby elephant with wings. Oh, that's so cute. This species of creature is called a burbophant. A burbophant. And what is this burbophant's name? It's Hanino. Oh, oh my god. That's so cute. Should I explain that? Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> okay, so Hanino is a reference to Hanno, which was a white elephant that was actually owned as a pet by one of the popes, Pope Leo X. And his wings are dove wings because it's a reference to Pope Fabian, who became Pope when a bird landed on his head. I knew this was a Pope Fabian <laughs> <laughs> So he's a, he's a tiny burbophant. He is your companion. We can go into the past and the history of your relationship at a later date, because that's honestly... That's a whole nother Christmas story in its own right. <laughs> sure is. So he runs into uh, uh, Hanino and then just brushes the Burbafant to the side, which rests on his favorite sitting spot, which is, you guessed it, your head. Excellent. How does he fit when there's a hat there? It fits inside the hat. It's a miter. They're hollow in the middle. Oh, you're right. He's got a nest. He's got a nest. L little bird <laughs> nest. And your follower, Barnabas Barnabas Benefer, it just breezes like, Pope Abstemius, important news from the Sea Kingdom of Gan, an important artifact, a whole city of artifacts, a workshop has risen from the sea off the coast. <gasps> Wondrous news. This is the perfect opportunity. Well, yeah, I think that part's great news, but there's 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 some bad news along with it, too. OK, what is it, my son? So I learned about it because I ran across Sister Paloma, who's on her way there now. What? Somewhere off of Key and off of Charmande and really off the grid is this commune of people who used to be a part of the Order of Truth, but have kind of fallen out of it. It's lively. It's excited. People are milling about. This is an impromptu pop-up city in its own right, with shops and with celebrations and the kind of things that you would buy as seen on TV. In the center, there is someone else teaching. Her teaching style is a lot more collaborative. It's not a speaker in front of a group, it's a group sitting around with each other, just kind of celebrating. People come and go, they mill as they please, and not one person is looking for Jetco shampoo. And because this is a lot more loose than a strict, like, sermon, uh, I can't really say specifically what's going on. So instead, I will have Sister Paloma, or as she's known around these parts, Mama, say what she is up to right now. Well, right now, we are having a... Mm, it's kind of like a potluck, and it's kind of like a guitar jam. We're just having a good time. <laughs> the spaghetti is the guitar strings. <laughs> Yeah, sure. You've got nacho chips. <laughs> We're just drumming on the nachos, and yeah, it's it's a mess, but it's fun. So, Sister Paloma, she's she's in the mix of it. Everyone comes up and says hello to her. She blesses everyone. She gives them a pat on their shoulder or clasps their hand. Otherwise, it's just pretty freeform. Everyone's feeling the music and the jives and the the good time here. <laughs> So as you're doing this, one of your followers comes to you and they're doing a very interesting walk. They're walking one foot in front of the other, touching their nose with each hand like someone who's doing a test to see if they've been drinking while driving. And what is the name of this follower? Uh, their name is Helena Lordle. Helena Lordle? Yes. All right. Little Helena Lordle comes up to you. And I actually want to know, how do you, how would you greet somebody? You know, they would come up and she would uh, flourish her parasol and then uh, do a slight bow to them. And they would bow back. But it's not a requirement. 
Um, Helena doesn't do it back. They actually look a little bit concerned. Mama, I have some very concerning news. Oh, what's that? You know, I would have known how to respond to that. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, you know, gone. Yes, sure. Said with the confidence of someone who doesn't know <laughs> I like to imagine that's in character. <laughs> yes. Yes, I do. But please remind <laughs> me again. <laughs> well, your friend, the king of gone, has told us about more ancient artifacts. Oh, I do love some ancient artifacts. (laughs) (laughs) Well, here's the thing. I've heard that this artifact can give you whatever you want. I mean, don't we already have whatever we want? Well, that's that's what you said, Mama. But, well, don't you think he might want a lot? Yes, he usually does. We could go fetch it for him. Is that a euphemism or are you, are we actually friends now? I mean, I'm friends with everybody. (laughs) (laughs) Euphemism. Got it. We'll start at dawn. And uh, your follower leads and it gives Sister Mama Paloma time to think. And as Sister Mama Paloma thinks, what is the person that we are looking at? All right. She's kind of, she's not super tall. She's maybe about mm, 5'4". She's waifish because she's pretty bad at feeding herself. You know, basically taking care of herself in general. Her hair is kind of all sorts of snarled up. She's mushed a bunch of things into it. Not anything specific, just like bits of this and bits of that. Maybe a piece of spaghetti. She wears clothes that cover most of her because she's been exposed to the void. So anything that's out and about that you can see of her skin has really dark bruising. She doesn't look as happy as she acts in that way. She looks a bit ill, but she wears big old bug-eye goggles. And she has this excessively beaded parasol that she just flourishes around as she pleases. And that parasol turns away as Mama Paloma's eyes turn towards the direction, I'd say northwest of where you're looking. And she can't see very far, but we can see. We can see further and further past her view, moving onwards over various countries and over various landscapes. We pass an Anine because we need an Anine cameo. And we make our way off of the bridges to the Sea Kingdom of Gaon. And we see what they have heard about. We see this recently risen, multicolored building that looks more like several small, adorable cottages laid side by side. It will take a few days for both the Pope and the Anti-Pope to make their way to this washed up workshop. But they're not the only ones going. Alright, so, uh, hop. Hopper Scotch. I got a question for you, because I always forget to do this. What is your flex skill for the day? Oh. <laughs> flex skill? Oh. Um, let's, let's, let's call it identification. Identification of what? Stuff. Like, if I... Like, recognition? Like, like artifacts, or... Yeah, like, if I'm just totally metagaming, like, would Hop be able to... Spidey senses for artifacts? I gotta keep a running list of flex skills, because I never know what to pick. And grappling hooks didn't. I, I got it. I got it. What? You can identify objects specifically related to this workshop. And you know what we're going to call it? Christmas spirit. Oh, <laughs> no. Is my flexible Christmas spirit? Yes, now. <laughs> oh, I'm not sure how I feel about that. We'll make it identification. <laughs> Spidey senses. Okay. I got some bad news for you, though. Because I was going to introduce where you are and what you're doing based on Hop using his flex skill. But since his flex skill is identification, <laughs> you should tell me what is Hop successfully identifying in this workshop? I've already ruined everything. Um, <laughs> <laughs> is there like a rocking horse? There, You can make up whatever you want. Oh. So long as it's not Santa Claus himself, I'm okay. Like, hey, that's Santa. <laughs> <laughs> um... Yeah, let's do a rocking horse. We're just going to go with what I said first. Rocking horse. 
oh hey, this is this is like a really old toy. They're not around so often, but you just you just it's called a rocking horse, and you just and he's like do, he's pressing down on the on the bendy part on the bottom so that it rocks back and forth, and he goes, this is this is it. This is all it does, but. <laughs> You know, they really liked them back then. <laughs> it's truly exceptional, Hopperscotch. Do you think it was built in this place? Oh, I was going to say that Michelle's already on that horse. <laughs> <laughs> I'm imagining it as like a really small horse. <laughs> Me too. So I imagine Misha is just sitting on this thing that's like a foot long, just rocking back and forth. <laughs> They're trying their best. It's, it's really old, so be careful. I don't know how sturdy it is. Oh, I think this is really fun, Simon Scotch. Good. They, they did too. Shock is using the recorder headband to film Misha on the rocking horse. Where some wonderful holiday memories. Misha's waving at Shock. Shock waves back, and you can see his hand pass in front of the uh, the screen a little bit. So, you are inside of this workshop, this factory that rose up out of the sea, and you're actually here on a favor. So the Sea King of Gon wanted this checked out. And this was something that the uh, Queen of Anquan, Queen Brackleberry, was going to actually send some of her workers to do, but they couldn't make it in the moment. So as a way of trying to mend things a little bit with Ray, you've decided to go and, and take care of this yourself. Put your best foot forward. <laughs> so you're currently in this large space where there are wooden toys and stuffed things that have long since lost their stuffing. Around one of the corners, you can see your guide, who uh, suddenly appeared when you entered the factory. He is a short, round Vargellan, Vargellan being the fish folk in Numenera who look exactly like Muppets. And this Vargellan, whose name is Eusebius. Eusebius! <laughs> Eusebius! Man! I looked up the pronunciation online, and it said Eusebius. It's Eusebius! Man. Eusebius. <laughs> Not that Eusebius. Or that one. There's a lot of Eusebius. Looks over to you and says, Have any of you found the candy key yet? Oh, uh, not yet, Eusebius. <laughs> but we found this incredible rocking horse. It's in really good condition. Oh, yes, the good old rocking horse. I remember reading about those. It's thrilling. <laughs> After Ellie, Ness goes, yeah. Real exciting. <laughs> Ness, do you want to try and rock on this horse? Yes, young man. I think you would find a lot of enjoyment out of it. <laughs> Why? It just, it just goes back and forth. It's like normal movement. But on pla in place. <laughs> <laughs> you, you, you think it, it advances forward, but it doesn't. It's quite remarkable. It uses, it uses physics because if you go back far enough, then it works forward a little bit more. And it's, it's, okay, it, it's... Oh no. Um, <laughs> Ness is just staring at Hopper while Hopper tries to explain <laughs> physics, so Hopper just stops talking. <laughs> and Shock will interject. Eusebius, where exactly should we be looking for the candy key within this facility? Well, the candy key looks a lot like the candy canes we saw earlier, but it's not nearly as delicious. Then again, and he looks around at the cobwebs surrounding everything in this facility. It all might taste the same now. <laughs> <laughs> gotta get that Muppet laugh in there. Gotta get that Muppet laugh in there. <laughs> God, what, what do our immediate surroundings look like? I mean, it's a workshop. You've got a bunch of, um, give me a perception. All right, then let's crack out the dice. First roll of the night. Let's use the good die, maybe. Yeah, yeah, it's a 12. All right, yeah, you see, um, yeah, you're not going to see it, but you're going to get kind of a sense of where it is because you look around and most things are pretty plain. You see a few conveyor belts where there are toys that seem to be mid-creation. So the rocking horse, a ball on a string, and it's all pretty easy to see where everything is. On one end, you see a striped door, which is where the candy key will go. And the only spot where it seems like it could be is you see a pile of stuffed animals of teddy bears. But as I said, the stuffing has long since been lost. So it's just a pile of flat teddy bears. And that's the only place the key could be. It's kind of like finding a needle on a haystack, except it's a key in a pile of bears. Well, hmm. seeing this pile of flat bears, Shock will wander over and just start like poking through it with the butt of the strong glass staff, you know, just 
scooting it around, sifting through, trying to see if there's a clank. Ness just crawls straight into the middle of the pile because he's small enough. So imagine this massive pile of flat, lifeless teddy bears. Shock, not shock. Ness just crawls straight in the middle of it. So Ellie starts shredding them. (laughs) (laughs) Because Ness is Shock's companion, Shock, I'm going to give you a GM intrusion. Who do you want to give your other experience point to? I will give my other experience point to Hopperscotch, since Hallie is the one, strictly speaking, triggering this. All right. And then, uh, Fry and Brie, are you you familiar with experience points? Yeah. I am not. (laughs) Okay, experience points are going to be things that you can get. You can use them for good things. So with one experience point, you can re-roll something. With two experience points, you can make it automatically succeed, or you can push yourself farther than what's physically possible. Actually, at three and four XP, you get to basically break the laws of physics. <laughs> okay. That's why Hallie's saving all of her XP for uh, the finale of Crime and Courtship. I got six. <laughs> oh, really? I got six. Okay, so Ness, you go and you see this key, and it's kind of held in the hand of uh, this teddy bear that's just lying there. And one of the fun things about this one is it looks like it looks like it's almost like a absorb the fluff of the other ones around it in that it's the only one that's fluffy and it's a little bit puffier than the rest. Cute. Uh, Ness, admiring the fluff, will poke the teddy bear's belly and then just take the key. As you take the key, it doesn't pull at first. And you could hear a little bit of laughter when you poked his tummy like, (laughs) Oh, I hate it. And suddenly, you see the teddy bear start pulling it against you. I want this. And Ness pulls harder. (laughs) And as you do that, out of nowhere, a staff comes through the pile of teddy bears. Knocks the one you're competing with square on the forehead. (laughs) It scrambles, snarls, and suddenly the rest of you see this teddy bear throw itself out of this pile and start scrambling up the side of a candy cane towards the ceiling. Does it still have the key? It still has the key. Damn it. What'd you do that for? I'm sorry. I had it. You just jumped in there. (laughs) Yeah, and now we know where the key is, and then you ruined it. Ah. And then, click, click, click. The teddy bear whips the key in the candy cane door, opens it, and shuts it. No! And you... Uh. You hear rumbling, and the factory starts up again. Faster and faster and faster. And suddenly the rocking chairs, the rocking uh, horses aren't being made. They're being made and shooting out almost at your heads. And in fact, everyone rolls speed defense. Through like a window from the workshop? Uh, No, the conveyor belts are like where you are. Oh, I see. Nine. And eleven. Sixteen. Nine. Uh, everyone except for Ari and Hallie. I mean, sorry, Ari and Hallie specifically take two points of might damage. Oh. Wait, what did Hallie roll? A nine. A nine. But but it should be it should be one step easier then. I have my shield, so all speed defense tasks are one step easier. Oh, you're right. You're right. Misha, take the brunt of that. Take four points of might damage. Woohoo. I'm sorry. I'm I'm going to rule that Misha just was still in the rocking horse. <laughs> It flung them across the wall. (laughs) Me? (laughs) Just bucked by a rocking horse. And you start to feel vibrations as the conveyor belt split and land on the ground and start to almost gone in reverse. So essentially, they're hoovering up pieces of the floor. One side on the left, one on the right. I'd like to charm machine and uh, I'll spend one level of effort on this. I rolled a nine. (sighs) So here's the thing. Normally that would work, but you get another GM intrusion. Who are you giving this other point to? I'll give it to Misha because I've accidentally caused him more harm by correcting you on how (laughs) numbers work. (laughs) You suddenly notice that, wow, suddenly some interference appeared and the data sphere is a lot harder to access. Mm. No. You have more difficulty using esoteries and Shock and Misha can't communicate. Oh, no. Uh-oh. And you lock eyes, Shock and Misha, as you notice this. And all of you are pulled up alongside the floor tiles and each thrown alongside the conveyor belt into the side rooms. On the right side, we have Shock, Hop, and Ness. And on the left, Ellie and Misha. You remember last time you left Misha and Ellie alone together? <laughs> well, well, well. Oh, yeah, I guess Misha also couldn't access the data sphere that time. Yeah. But it will be, and they're okay, but it's a little different this time. 
And now it's Christmas. Yes. <laughs> With demonic teddy bears. So we are going to have Hop and Ness in the same room for this one as well. We are, and that's just because um abstem abstemious? Abstemious. Abstemious uh, has a companion, so I want the companions to be in different uh, groups. Ah, gotcha. Mm. Yeah, and Misha, by the way, you do remember yourself this time. Your connection with the data sphere is stronger, mm. so you're able to actually hold on to this it this time and remember who you are. You just synced with the cloud, it's fine. Okay, have a backup. <laughs> backup files. Uh, but conveniently, we'll never remember what happened this arc, and we'll never talk of it again. It'll have never happened. Damn it. I'm trying to recruit them. Come on. <laughs> we can only talk about in specials. It's anime movie logic. <laughs> All right. Who wants to start? Which t- which squad? Which squad do we want to start with? I feel like we should start with the squad that's going to meet Pope Estemius. Abstemious. Oh, can't use words. <laughs> I'm so sorry for choosing such a hard name. No, no, it's okay. It's just I mispronounced it the first time and now it's stuck in my head. So you fall down. What almost looks like, you know, those like slides they have at like McDonald play places. Is it as germy? It's just as germy. <laughs> and you slide down and down and down and you come out at the other end into a ball pit. Mm. That sucks. And this is shock. Uh, sorry. And this You're is Ellie. You're a little too excited about that. This is Ellie and Misha. Uh, and as you make your way up, you see yourself in a very basic wooden room. And through the balls, which just fall down around you into the sea of multicolored, germ-filled plastic nonsense, you see a man staring down at you with a small bird elephant sitting in his hat. Can he be startled by them popping up? Yes. Okay, I'm going to have him go, by the holy face of Kuka! Jeez, what are you doing down there? Salutations, unexpected human with a really good taste in hats. (laughs) Mind the main culture is Misha Jarvis. Misha Jarvis, what are you doing down there? Are you all right? Uh, I believe we we are all right. They're going to look at Ellie to see if that's the case, but... We have been separated from some of our friends and would like to go back with them. I would like to be out of these balls. <laughs> okay, I will offer both of them a hand. And because Pope Abstemius is a tiny muscular dude, he'll actually be able to haul them out if they, you know, if they give it their go, I think. Yeah, I'm going to say you can do that. Okay. And reminder that this man is glowing the second you see him. Glowing, yes. <laughs> oh, nice. <laughs> I want to poke him. When he tries to help you up or when you get up? <laughs> when, when, I, when I get up, I'd like to rule if this is okay that there's a little startling realization at how it it's pretty difficult, despite how small of a woman Ellie is, to pull her up. And she's going to get up and immediately, like, just poke. <laughs> because uh because he when he lifted her up he'd probably feel like the sturdy uh, metal under her hand can he like poke back and just be like (laughs) you can do it listen this is for the three of you to do whatever the hell you want all i'm gonna say is that if anyone tries the popanino we're gonna have a very angry elephant on our hands he will hurt you (laughs) misha you want to get in on this action yeah misha is just like circling abstemious admiring the hat you don't want to poke? Um, they they might ask. Uh, they, they don't want to do it without permission. Uh, so they can be like, may I uh, touch your hat? Of course you may touch my hat. It, it is made from the finest silk produced by the nuns of the Order of Truth. Oh, it does seem really nice. Why, thank you. Do, do you think I w- would be able to get one of these after I reunite with my friends? I think I dated a nun once. Um, Misha, are you wearing any of your hats at the moment? Because you have so many. (laughs) Oh, I have so many. Uh, sure. Let's say that Misha's wearing the poet's hat. And can we rule that Misha, as soon as they saw the hat, just like submerged back under the balls for a second and then just came back up (laughs) with the poet's hat on to be like, yes, yes. I too have a hat. Yes, I love it. I also have a hat. (laughs) And it's very, very fetching on you. (laughs) Thank you. So what are you guys doing here? And you said you were with other people. Who are you with and how many people are here? Uh, well, it, there is my friend Shock, there is my friend Simon Scotch, and there is my friend Ness. But I do not know where they are right now. We got separated from them and I can't communicate with them. Are any of you here with Paloma?
Meanwhile, Shock Hop and Ness, you go down a much worse slide. You know those like those metal slides that they have at playgrounds? That burn your skin if it's been hot? Yeah, they're like really fun unless they're hot, which they are. There are lights in here that beat on like the sun and you slide down and you just hit the concrete and you're in an identical hall. It's like wooden and cozy. So it's like it's a literal brick of concrete specifically at the bottom of the slide before everything goes away to nice carpeting. Someone did this on purpose. Yes, it's the aesthetic of it. So you hit the ground, and as you're probably nursing your bottoms a little bit, you turn over and you see an umbrella in front of all three of your faces. Is it open? I don't know. Is it open or is it not? Well, if Mama Paloma's inside, her umbrella would be closed and probably set to the side. I assume that she has found an old hunk of fudge. And when you pick up old fudge, it immediately, like, turns to dust. So she's, like, shoved that into her canteen and shook it up. And so she sees these people face plant on the concrete and walks over and goes, Oh, I have some restorative drink for you. I just discovered it. Oh, she freaking would. Now question, is that, did you at least mix this with water or is it just the powder? It's in, it's in a canteen with with water. Okay. Okay. (laughs) Slightly better. Now it's just mud. Yeah. Million year old room temperature chocolate. (laughs) Yes. But Shock doesn't know any of this, so he will look up, say, oh, well, thank you, and take uh-huh. a tentative sip of the of the drink. Don't drink things that strangers give you. I was going to say, even without the knowledge of what it is, Hopper's not really going. Does Hopper try to stop Shock before he does? Yes, he does. He's like, oh, uh, we like takes his hand out and then gently puts the canteen down. Thank, thank you for offering your um your, your your drink, but I think I think we'll be okay. Uh, I'm 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 Hopperscotch, and he'll stand up and dust himself off, extend his hand. Mama Paloma's going to shake that hand, two-handed, you know, one hand on one side, the other hand on the other, gently. A gentleman's handshake. <laughs> it's nice to meet you. I'm Sister Paloma, and I am Shock, and this is Ness. Ness has taken the canteen from Shock's hands and is peering into it. Sup. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, how did you get down here? We thought we were the only people uh, in this ruin. Um, how'd she get in there? She's been wandering for a bit. Are there other people with her? Uh, it is just her. You can say you came in, again, unless it's you killed Santa Claus, you can say whatever you want for how you got in. All right, well... She's going to say that that she came in through the nearest door that she found, and she's just been sort of poking around. It looks like she's made little piles. She's got a pile of tinsel and another one of Christmas lights, and then she's got that weird hunk of dried-out fudge that she looks like she's been sort of messing with. She smells like fudge right now. (laughs) (laughs) Million-year-old fudge. Oh, great. Oh, Shock is going to stand up and say, we got separated from our companions. Did you need help getting out of here? Or was there anything specific you were doing in this ruin? Well, I was looking for an artifact that I heard about. I can sort of feel it under my um, under my clavicle here. I can feel it in, in and about my heart region in the cockles, as it were. But I'm just sort of, I'm not in any hurry. There's other neat things here. Have you been collecting all this? And Hopper gestures to the piles of stuff. Uh, yeah. I just, I'll have to find like a big old blanket to put it in later. <laughs> Shock, perhaps not recognizing the, the strange piles, just like, oh, that's so fascinating. I've never heard of someone who had the power to sense, sense artifacts within their own body. Yeah, how, do, how does that work? Uh, you know? I'm not entirely sure. It's definitely on my list. (laughs) (laughs) I like to believe that uh, before before they split up, Pope Abstemius just gave Paloma a literal character sheet saying, hey, here are your powers as that we which we have established so you can remember. And Paloma just has this sheet like a receipt like, oh, what was this? Oh, yeah, this was the power. Right. Yeah, right here. So this is on page 47 of the core rule book. Not sure what that's referring to. I think it's a holy text. The King James edition of the uh, the Order of Truth role-playing game. 
it was it was a brief period where uh, <laughs> Abstemius tried to be with the times and was like, well, maybe we can market ourselves in direct competition with Jetco. It didn't pan out. He tried so hard, though. He tried to rap a sermon and it went over really, really poorly. I was about to say, we don't talk about the amber rap. <laughs> Anyways. Oh, hey, look, there's a door. You all notice a door. I feel I feel as though we're being told to go somewhere. But Shock will say, well, it looks like we can't get back up the way we came. I guess there's nothing left to do but progress and see if we can't find the rest of our companions. All right. It was nice meeting you. Oh, well, I, I'll come with. I don't I don't have anything to do. She grabs, like, a hunk of that fudge that immediately breaks into her hand, and she sort of, like, dusts it around, and then she just walks with you guys. Hopper's not so subtly trying to avoid this lady. Like, oh, nice meeting you! No, he genuinely, the thing is that he genuinely meant that. He's fine if she comes along. Okay. He just was like, we're gonna keep going, but it definitely came across that way. <laughs> And I guess we proceed through the hallways open to us. All right. You make your way through the very strategically placed door in that it was strategically the only one. And you make your way to this big, very religious looking space, giant archways. And you see six armored knight outfits on one side and you see five on the other. And at the very, very end, you see a single lonely suit of armor standing in front of the other doorway the one leading out. Hopperscotch, do you think there's anything unusual about that suit of armor there? The thing lifts a halberd and slams it down on the ground, kind of like a pole arm. So it's not like hitting the ground, you know, the, the blunt end. Yeah. It slams it on the ground and then all the other ones slam them on the ground. We are the 12 Knights of Christmas. <laughs> Over there is Boxer, over there is Roger, and I am Sir Hilarious. (laughs) What business do you have with us today? Uh, we're just passing through, trying to get out of the room. Hmm, but are you worthy of passing through? I mean, personally, I think that all people are worthy of going through doors. Yeah, I, I, I second that. That is a valid point, but can you name the Amber Pope who first stated all men can go through doors? Well, my beliefs were based more upon the democratic and egalitarian principles (laughs) from the teachings of the machine Boz. We do not know of the machines of Boz. Tell us of their wisdom. Uh, Oh, oh. Um, well, there was a long time ago a machine that we in our records call Boz. We, we don't have any information on what this machine's function was, but we know that it created a sanctuary for other intelligent machines and decreed that we would live there in peace and security. Um, that's when the traditions were established for egalitarian meetings, votes. I, I think they, in the, in the steadfast year, they'd call it democracy. And and uh, the only thing that they don't tolerate are machines who try to kill or take over other machines, as as they do from time to time. Such is valuable, novel, and utterly serious knowledge. You and the small robot may pass. You and they point to Hop. What scriptures do you bear knowledge from? Uh, Hopper's searching his memory for literally anything that he knows related to scripture. Uh, don't, uh, murder folks. It's <laughs> a good one. Such is a good lesson. From what scripture have you gained that knowledge? The Adventures of Jameson Hopper. The halberd slams down. You may pass on and carry with you the scriptures of St. Jameson Hopper. <laughs> Uh, and then finally, they turn around and they look at Paloma. You. Oh. <laughs> what scriptures do you come bearing knowledge of? Um, the scriptures of nature and the beauty around us. It just sits there. It doesn't even slam down. It looks like it's waiting for you to say something more. I read them all in a book called Chicken Soup for the Children's Soul. 
<laughs> we have observed the chicken soup. It is by far one of the most popular scriptures. But can you quote the scripture of chicken soup? Um, yeah, and she just, she sort of just recites a ridiculous poem about bees. <laughs> and what is this poem? Um, go for it, Fry. Buzz, 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 they go into the flowers. Buzz, 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 they're so fat and cute. Bees! <laughs> <laughs> it was beautiful. And thus, truer words have not been spoken. You may pass. And this uh, knight walks to the side and leaves the door open for you to continue. All right, let's go. She's going to bring her her parasol and follow along. And as you walk and make your way through, closer to the artifact and closer to finding your friends, current and former, our view, our imaginary camera, takes a look into Paloma's book, the scripture from which she read, which she has held on to uh, and, and is currently in, in her bag. And we see an odd bit of writing on it. We see that it says, property of Pope Abstemius. Thanks so much for listening to this bonus episode. If you're interested in listening to Quest Friends or Pontifax, you can find links to both shows below. You can also find links to the Quest Friends intro song, which is Friends by Miracle of Sound, and the Quest Friends outro song, which is Atoshio, also by Miracle of Sound. Normally, we at Quest Friends end our episodes with a kind of outro that features some little thing that was fun, but it didn't quite fit the show proper itself, and here's the one for this episode. I hope you enjoy it. What is it? Sorry, I was trying to look at the picture. <laughs> what? Oh, I don't know what it is, but I love it. What? Oh, what's this? Why are, why are its feet like that? <laughs> I love it. It's it's the fish people from Hotel Transylvania, and that's what I'm picturing these fish oh, people looking like. So. Oh no. Do you know how many times I had to watch Hotel Transylvania? Yeah. <laughs> oh, no. It wasn't even for the children... My husband was doing some acid artwork for something else that required him to know all of the lore. Oh, oh god. Oh, no. <laughs> Honestly, that's a lot better than what I expected. I, I expected you to just say, yeah, Breeze just forced me to watch it <laughs> uh, every weekend in October. That's Pacific Rim. <laughs> I love Pacific Rim, though. Exactly. <laughs>